read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. As has long been the case, no other function of state government in North Carolina consumes a larger share of the state budget or more attention from state leaders than K-12 and higher education. Unfortunately, in recent years, those appropriations have steadily withered, even as the attention lawmakers devote to our schools and universities is related more and more to the micromanagement of hiring and curriculum decisions and enforcing an ideological agenda than giving educators the funding and support they need. One expert who keeps tabs on these trends and frequently critiques the performance of state legislators when it comes to public and higher education is the executive director of the nonprofit research and advocacy group Public Ed Works. His name is David Rice, and recently he was kind enough to join me to review some of the top education issues currently facing the state. Well, David Rice, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Great to be here. So um, Public Ed Works, for a long time we thought it was Higher Ed Works, and now your organization has uh, been around for a decade, but you've expanded your mission somewhat and, and, and changed the name. Talk to us about that, how that went down and why that move was made. Well, it represents a recognition that education doesn't start with higher education, nor does it end with high school. It starts in preschool when kids start learning to read, and it goes through the entire continuum. So we're just acknowledging that and paying more attention to that entire process rather than solely higher education. Makes eminent sense, and it's obviously an incredibly important organization in the North Carolina education world. Let's start with higher education, an area in which y'all have been so active for so long. We've had some pretty high-profile leadership changes across the state in the UNC system. We had Kevin Guskowitz depart from UNC Chapel Hill last year, a little bit of controversy there. Chancellor Harold Martin is retiring from North Carolina A&T after a, really in a very impressive career. And Johnson Akinleye, who is leaving as the North Carolina Central Chancellor. He's leaving in June. Is this a tougher job to fill these days? It's a tough job to be the chancellor of a, of a major university. How hard will it be to find world-class talent when we've got so many openings? There's no question that we're going to have a good bit of leadership turnover this year in our university system. There was really no reason for Kevin Guskowitz to be run off. He was uh, a recognized authority in his field. He was a good administrator. He had been at Carolina and shown great devotion to the place. And I mentioned that he was an expert in his field. Once when we were doing a, a video interview with him in his office, our videographer set up a light stand that was directly over my head. And he didn't usually do that. And I kept glancing up and sort of, I was, I was a little bit uneasy with that light directly over my head. And Chancellor Guskowicz noticed and he said, don't worry, if it falls and you get a concussion, I knew what to do. <laughs> yeah, um, he had to deal with a lot of blows to both himself and the university system. While he was there. That's right. But we're going to have chancellor searches going on at Carolina, but also at North Carolina A&T, Winston-Salem State University, North Carolina Central and St. Augustine's. So there's going to be a lot of churn among leadership this year. I don't think there will be any shortage of applicants for Carolina's chancellorship. Uh, there may be some overlap in the applicant pools for some of the other schools. Now, as our Joe Killian has reported, the UNC system has actually changed its policy for how new chancellors are chosen, really giving 
assistant president Peter Hans a lot more power than past presidents in really deciding ultimately who who fills these slots. Proponents say it makes it run more like a private business, but others are, are worried that it's not a, a very open selection process and puts an awful lot of power in one person. Do you have any thoughts on how that's going to go? Yeah, I, I think the first thing people need to recognize is how many constituencies chancellors have to respond to. I mean, first and foremost, the students, but also very important, the faculty, alumni, governing boards at both the campus and university system level. And so they are having to juggle a whole lot of of personalities, frankly. (laughs) And so you need to appreciate that. I think this process that the Board of Governors has come up with is indicative or, or part of a trend toward more centralization in the system office mm-hmm. of searches of whatever sort. And we're going to see it with the chancellor searches limited to a 13-person committee, but there have been other instances where the Board of Governors is asserting its control over the individual campuses. We're talking with David Rice, who's the executive director of Public Ed Works. Uh, we've been talking about higher education here to start our conversation. And another topic in higher education these days, we've just heard at UNC Greensboro, just as we record this, there is a plan to eliminate a, a slew of programs in the campus. 19 academic programs might be eliminated. Uh, there's a, a review going on right now. A lot of faculty members and students are really upset about it. But this is not unique to University of North Carolina system. We're seeing this sort of proposals around the country and even talking, I saw an article the other day about South Carolina, even considering consolidating system campuses. So is this, is this just something that's happening to higher education right now? Is it a function of fewer kids being born and going to higher to going on to college or is it something else at work here? You just touched on it. Here's your daily lesson in demographics. During the great recession, birth rates declined. And so now we're seeing the cohort of younger students coming out of high school, it's smaller nationwide. And the projections are that that enrollment in institutions of higher learning will decline in the Northeast, whereas in North Carolina, because of our in-migration, the projection is more that we will have more of a plateau Mm -hmm. rather than an absolute drop. That doesn't mean, though, that individual campuses might not see declines in enrollment. And UNC Greensboro and UNC Asheville have seen declines. When your funding is based on your enrollment, something's got to give there. And that's what we're seeing painfully take place at at UNC Greensboro right now. But I think we will see that at UNC Asheville and possibly across the system to look at, you know, which programs they need and which they don't. We're talking with David Rice, who's the executive director of Public Ed Works. Uh, As we continue our conversation about public education, we were talking about what's being described in some places as belt tightening in the higher education system in North Carolina as as perhaps drop-offs in the number of uh, students applying to some schools takes place. We're also hearing more talk about this idea of return on investment for a UNC degree. A new study shows really an incredible return on investment for those who graduate college, and they'll have much more extensive uh, world opportunities in the real world. But um, there's also some concern about use of this terminology and what it means, particularly for liberal arts. And how important should it be what people earn 
in their jobs when they graduate? Is that the only thing we look at? Do we look at other contributions to society? There's a good bit of discussion these days about jobs that don't exist yet. And I know that liberal arts folks are nervous about the elimination of programs and how they don't necessarily attract the kind of grant funding that the sciences or STEM fields do, science, technology, engineering, and math. But it's a balancing act. And I think you're right that the return remains incredible, something approaching a million dollars over a lifetime for people who graduate from college. The danger is with people who go for a year or two, drop out, and they have college debt, but they don't have the degree to secure a job to pay off that debt. Mm. And that's where sometimes people get themselves in trouble. And frankly, also why you're seeing a renewed focus on adult learners with online programs. But it's also, of course, true that we want artists and social workers and philosophers. We want people who may not be going out into immediate six-figure salaries. We want to graduate those kinds of students as well, right? It takes all kinds. As many as 70% of students, this is a recent study we saw, 70% of students view college as a risky investment. But the same study found that nearly 90% of UNC system graduates from low-income households see upward economic mobility. So that's interesting. Maybe people are a little nervous about it, but people still believe in the college education. Well, we mentioned both UNC Greensboro and Winston-Salem State. Both of those institutions get really high ratings for social mobility among their student body. And if you finish, it's a great opportunity. We were talking about centralization of control in the UNC system and particularly in the Board of Governors and the president and sort of centralizing power. Another uh, area in which that seems to be headed in that direction is athletic conference switches. We've had a lot of talk these days about consolidation of major sports conferences. There's, of course, talk about the ACC being a struggling conference and perhaps even some of the UNC schools departing for another conference. What are you taking from these recent talk that's saying the Board of Governors wants to uh, have final authority over that? Well, as you say, it's another part of this thing of greater centralization in the system office of control over campus activities. And not everyone has been happy with, you know, the expansion of the ACC or the All Coast Conference, as it might be called these days. That's an issue. And I just see it as part of that that broader centralization. Not much likelihood that it's going to be stopped. You, you'd assume that that centralization that the, the Board of Governors wanting, and the president wanting to exert final authority over that, that's likely to take place. Yes. And a lot of this, though, is simply about economic forces and unfortunately driven by dollars, and it only continues to grow. Yes, there's a famous sports producer who once said, the answer to all your questions is money. <laughs> Certainly when it comes to college athletics these days. Let's change gears and shift over to K through 12 education for a moment. We've been talking about higher education, but of course, Public Ed Works is very concerned about what happens in the K through 12 world. This month, as people listen to this, on February 22nd, we're going to have yet another hearing before the state Supreme Court in the three-decade-old Leandro litigation, which originally determined that every child in the state has a constitutional right to a sound basic education, but never really been put into effect as our legislature and uh, has not been able to appropriate necessary funds. What's your take on this latest development in Leandro? What might happen and what are your concerns? Well, the 
fairly narrow consideration that the court is scheduled to take up is whether the courts can compel expenditure of dollars if the legislature has not. And that's the narrow question. There are broader questions about the rule of law and if the legislature is omnipotent and is the only body that can spend money, the public's money. An even broader question, though, involves how this state has underfunded public education under both Republicans and Democrats for years, and somebody needs to step up. That's the bigger question that needs to be solved, if not through the court system, then at the ballot box. You have some pretty remarkable statistics on the Public Ed Works website that cite how far back North Carolina has, has fallen in that regard. If we are trying to catch up with Alabama, we're in trouble. Yeah, pretty much at the bottom of the pack. North Carolina ranks 50th out of 50 states in the percentage of GDP, it's, its economic production, that it devotes to K-12 education. And it's a really interesting ranking because it indicates that other states are finding the dollars to invest in public education. We have the capacity to, but we're not doing it. Even as you note, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, it is a pretty remarkable set of affairs. We're coming to the end of our time with David Rice, who's the executive director of Public Ed Works. So, David, it's a big election year. I guess in many respects, you could say education is always on the ballot during elections. Are there any particular issues you'd suggest our education savvy listeners be watching for this year in 2024? I would certainly be asking candidates what their views are on public education and on vouchers, which are scheduled to divert a whole bunch of dollars that could otherwise go to public schools. But also, I, I would advise folks, don't be deceived by politicians who say we're spending more on education than we ever have, because it's a growing state. We're on track to be the ninth largest state. And of course, we're going to spend more. But the question is, are we spending enough per student or per teacher or what have you, rather than just the aggregate spending? Excellent point. We're so glad that Public Ed Works is there to, to raise that issue up. David, thanks so much for your fine work. It's been great catching up. Uh, we'll look forward to following you all. At, at The website is publicedworks.org? That's right. Publicedworks.org. Check them out. David Rice, the executive director. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Hinkle, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.